From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai Magazines, the monthly and quarterly. This episode, our guest is Hadi Lashkari, who is the chief executive of the Ojai Valley Community Hospital. And a tireless worker through the pandemic, in fact, we've been meaning to have him on for a long time, to bookend our very first episodes with the city and the school district responses to get the hospitals and how everything went on the front lines. I've known Hadi for a long time and it was great to catch up with not just a very competent professional, but a friend. Hey, Hadi. Thanks Hi, for Brett. joining me. Hey, this is awesome. I've been meaning to get you on for a long, long time. Um, the whole situation with the hospital getting through the past two and a half years, it's been extraordinary. I figure now is maybe a time where you have a little bit of perspective and can can uh, maybe walk us through like what it was like for you to be right on the front line. Yeah. Yeah, like where, where did it tell us what it was like? Maybe, uh, you know, January, February, getting a distant early warning. And yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. One of the uh, clear markers for me that I, I remember was uh, actually February 6th and 7th. Um, it was a it was an early morning, February 6th. I had a conference. We have a, a group of chief operating officers and administrators where we meet uh essentially quarterly. And, uh, I was driving down to LAX and for this meeting, uh, on February 6th, it was 2020. And as I'm driving down, we, you know, I'm kind of interacting with staff going down to the meeting and it's, it's not unusual when we're at a conference, uh, at the break, I'll I'll go down to the, my hotel room and check messages. And in the background, I have, uh, the CNN or some sort of newscast going on the web crawler or the crawler at the bottom. Yeah. And so oh, you're, man. you're, you're seeing this in the backdrop here. You are talking about healthcare events and you're not talking about the pandemic. No, we're talking about other issues like a few weeks away. In, indeed. And, and so, and in the backdrop, it is this conversation of what's happening in, in China. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it kind of dawned on me. I'm in the Hilton LAX where tons of people are coming and, and going, going. And here we are talking about these other healthcare topics. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems so so frivolous now, doesn't it? it, it completely. Yeah. So uh, early early on, is uh, you know we're we're privileged here in Ohio uh, having the the hospitals merged and being part of a system. Yeah. And so the scale that you would not have had and access to resources. It, indeed, and so. It, it, that that clearly was, I think, one of our saviors as we were going through. So initially yeah. on, when we started to see the the magnitude of what we were dealing with, particularly as we were looking at what was happening along the East Coast, um, we, we began to put our surge plans together and review what our response plan was going to be. And initially... Did you have something not to... Yeah. Uh, did you have something already, like uh, some kind of strategic plan for yeah 
these events? Yeah, each know? each hospital has uh, as as a requirement went through our emergency planning process. We yeah. have a process where we're pandemic planning. Um, it's it's typically only been a table exercise. Yeah, and so you're you're definitely pulling that off the shelf and uh-huh. starting to to, it, to look how at did it. it match up. Well, uh, in many components, I think we started to look at surge capacity and what that looks like. Yeah, that would be the first thing, huh? Like, what is your capacity? And and as we began to identify what our capacity is and how we're going to create more capacity, one yeah. of the things that caught our eyes was um, that many of the COVID patients could go south pretty quickly, um, yeah. meaning that they would require intubation or uh, require kind of a higher level of care fairly quickly. And so we... The ventilators of which are everywhere in short supply. And why wouldn't they be? Because they're expensive and there's very little use for them except in an instance like this. Yeah, and so we and we have that medical equipment, but mm-hmm. I think the concern was uh, we while we have the hospitalist program, uh, we we didn't have we don't have intensivists and board certified pulmonologists specifically yeah. here in Ojai. And so working with our medical staff, uh, we we decided early on that as patients in the Ojai Valley were coming into our emergency department to seek care. When was the first patient, do you know? I I wait I the first was date, it February I'd have to go back. or March? Do you um, think it was like March, March we started like? having cases, I think it was March of fifteen March fifteenth, twenty twenty was when the state began to implement its shutdown, and I think we were seeing these scatterings of individual cases. I think the first case in Ventura County was out of our one of our outpatient locations in Camarillo, oh, okay. and then it was a couple weeks later where we began to see some of the tests. Did you feel uh, like through. it was a mist or a fog creeping in on you, like? Absolutely. I, I think the the biggest concern initially was the lack of available testing. Um, so when, you know, I think back in March of 2020, the process to identify a positive case, uh, had, you had to identify them through the ER, you would, uh, sample them. And then I think all the samples were being sent to Atlanta, nasal swab, the nasal swab. Uh, and then, you know, as a four to five day turnaround period. So you, you have goodness knows how many people they'll infect in that time. Did we know right away to quarantine people? Cause I know the. medical response gets a lot of criticism and especially like Dr. Fauci, but these are Monday morning quarterbacks. We, we knew, we knew to follow isolation precautions, meaning, um, to have N95 and cover kind of covering garb as you're going in. But I think the full extent of that, uh, you know, is a bit ironic initially when, Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're coming into the hospital maskless, right? All, all together. Um, I will share when we implemented uh, the the measure. I think we're one of the first uh, skilled nursing facilities we required to wear aseptic masks. Um, yeah. We got criticized initially, and because uh, being too cautious. Well, we got criticized that there's a shortage of masks, and why are we requiring our staff to wear masks? Uh, yeah. in, you know, in our skilled nursing facility, but it was because there was a Their vulnerable population. That's yeah. exactly right. So there, there's definitely, you know, it's one of those things where in the morning we are getting one communication and by the afternoon, some of that information mm-hmm. is obsolete and yeah. changes are being constantly made and up- and updated. And that's exactly how it should be. I know that criticism is so ridiculous about 
and I hear it everywhere. They just got like all wrapped up in QAnon and everything else and these conspiracies. But it's just people who are highly committed and conscientious doing their best. Yeah. You're making you're making the best decisions you can with the best yeah. information you have in that moment. And as uh, you you gather or or get more information, you're you're making adjustments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was exactly a it. great quote from uh, John Maynard Keynes at some conference after World War II when they were setting up the what's basically the modern economic system and the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. And at a press conference, he gave his presentation and a journalist jumps up and says, ha ha, you changed your your process or your policy, you know, what, what is this flip-flopping? And he goes, well, I have new information, sir. And what do you do with new information? Exactly. I just right. love that. Just turn it back on them. Yeah. 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 So th- th- there's definitely, I think, uh, a lot of times going back and, and really it just as, just as you shared, sharing why there's a change of course yeah. and why that change of course makes sense. So, so initially going back to your initial question, we have our pandemic plan was very specific to Ojai and what the Ojai hospital is going to do and, and how wait, we're before, gonna, um, did, what, did you think this was going to be like a airborne respiratory type of thing is that what you would have figured would be the most common type of pandemic um, rather than like a hemorrhagic fever or one of those well, really I, scary things I, I think most of the plans are really flu pandemic plans so kind of uh, a really bad flu year uh, yeah. so and what that impact would be ironically I think we're going into that right now yeah I uh, know because everybody's getting back out and around and guards are down and yeah yeah. Yeah. So as we began to see uh, the care that was required for many of our uh, COVID positive patients, mm-hmm. we decided we, we pivoted and um, working with our medical staff, we decided that if a COVID patient needed to be admitted, that they would be transferred to Community Memorial Hospital. Yeah. And did CMH have their full capacity at that point from the expansion or are they still so, is it done? Was it? Uh, that's what I'm asking. Was all the construction the, like the construction was complete? That was in in many ways that was a lifesaver. I think for the yeah. for the community, um, and I think the biggest advantage of that is as as most people know, when we were in our mountain tower in Ventura, we had double rooms, uh, okay. and we didn't have the modern uh, all private room facility. So yeah. obviously in Ventura, we had all, all of the private rooms, and then the other thing we were able to do fairly quickly was um, create an additional capacity of negative pressure rooms. So as, as you know, as oh, it's yeah. airborne, the concern is is that you, you, you have patients that are admitted for COVID or you also have patients that are admitted for other comorbidities and you don't want yeah. them to get a hospital-acquired COVID. And so we were able to kind of close units with the intent of making them COVID positive units. And oh, really to kind of herd the virus into some airspace. That's right. And, and then we were to, sc- we were able to scale. Oh, I see like almost like vacuuming it up. Yeah. So we took, you know, started off with a side of a floor and then it expanded to a whole half of a floor. Yeah. And I think at one point our, our peak, we had a hundred COVID positive patients in the, uh, in the ocean tower. Oh, and really? Then, this was from, Every from new cases to people that are about to get out or 
Yeah, well, these, these are actual COVID-positive cases. Yeah. But of every stage, not just like one day 100 people show up. No, yeah, it's all, all, all stages. Oh, but still, for a community the size of Ojai to have that many people at any one time, that's, yeah. a, that's a significant portion of the population. It, and this is uh, for, for Vin, yeah, because it, it was just down in Ventura, and so we, we have our Ojai county. patients are there too. And then conversely, we were sending pneumonia patients and skilled nursing patients and other types of acuity to... Uh, Ojai Hospital, and yeah. so we were able to kind of meet those needs and not have okay. them admitted to uh, CMH, um, where you, you know, as it was so heavily impacted there. So yeah. we kind of leveraged as a system uh, our campuses based on meeting yeah. the needs of what the community needs. Yeah. Well, speaking of community needs, what about staff needs? What was it like for you know the first responders on on the scene yeah it must have been scary I mean, very what? scary is it i think the heart the, the hardest thing that i you talking to many of the healthcare workers particularly when the stay-at-home orders yeah. were given is like it was really eerie driving uh oh, yeah, when deserted roads the streets are empty everybody's staying home and it just, just seems counter you know intuitive to be mm-hmm. uh out on the street uh going to work and, well, and everybody else is gone ghost yeah, ghost town that's right and so a lot of unknown, um, you know, we didn't have, we didn't know as much around uh, the, the disease, nor clearly, you know, we didn't have vaccines and layers of protection. We, we had a lot of stories and we were seeing what was happening on the East Coast mm-hmm. and the, the numbers heavy swelling. The Bing COVID tracker is the one I check like three, four times yeah. a day. Yeah. I remember when it was like, people were saying, oh, this is just like, just typical flu season. I'm like, not eight, 80,000 in typical flu season? No, like 30 maybe if it's bad. And then that number, that was, seems quaint. Yeah. 80,000. Yeah. Deaths. That was like, it's 12 times that now, like 1.1 million. And how, how fast it was spreading and how differently different populations were, you, you know, handling it. Yeah, I know. Northern Italy seemed to be really bad like two percent or more were yeah dying from yeah covid yeah i don't have no idea why that was because they're otherwise healthy people i mean as a you know the society but so it's just interesting how yeah it affects different populations and how fast it spreads and and doesn't and were there any like staff situations that you were i mean you must have been Really worried about your people. Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of fear um, in terms of knowing about the disease. So as we were getting information, I think the key one of the key things was uh, how we communicate with our staff completely changed. Yeah. So we uh, in what way? Uh, well, we a couple things. We we moved completely away from trying to meet in person. So we yeah. adopted virtually overnight. Uh, we, we use Microsoft Teams, but we have a daily operational meeting every morning. Uh, and, you know, even on the weekends. On What's just, that? Where everybody logs in. Everybody you know, logs like, in and like gives. Slack, like a Slack channel or something. Yeah. You give, yeah. You give report on, uh, you, you know, what you've seen in the outpatient area, what you've seen in the inpatient area, what staffing looks like. It's kind of a state of the health system real time for the day and then what we're looking at going into that day and then also what we'd be going out tomorrow and um early on when we when we canceled elect a big discussion was canceling elective surgeries so that we could create capacity 
but the, the kind of the daunting um, concern of as soon as you, uh, you know, while certain surgeries may be elective, they're, they're medically needed and you're now de- potentially delaying care. Uh, yeah. For those for that population, and how long can you go to to you know cancel those elective surgeries? How how far can you punt it off into the future? That's right. Know? And so so it's uh, you know you have administration uh, members of the staff and the medical staff, and we're conversing in in terms of some of what what the plan looks like, and what that impact looks like, yeah. and uh, ch- planning on a daily basis in terms of what what the daily needs are going to be met and what we're looking at going into the future. And you're, you're getting updates from uh, supply and supply chain issues to a number of ventilators that we, that are being used that need to be used to how many patients we saw in the outpatient. How many arena. ventilators were being used and what was that? How, how much of a crisis did that become? Oh, I, I offhand, I'd have to, I, you know, I think at, at one point I'd say a majority of our ICU beds were probably all um, ventilated. I, I don't have that exact number. We, wow. we had pulled all of our um, ventilators, both at CMH and Ojai. In some cases, we even sent some of our Ojai ventilators down there, knowing that there's going to be a, a higher surge. level of acuity down there. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing I'm curious, when you're talking about these all-staff meetings and just trying to get the information, it seems like it would kind of flip around where the, you're more concerned about getting the information up from, you know, the frontline people rather than top-down instructions on how you're going to be managing things. Yeah, I, you know, I think the DOPS, uh, our daily operation meetings, are it's designed by design that way. So yeah. it's less uh, senior management talking and more department uh, managers reporting from uh, their staff uh, what's yeah. being seen and what the needs are. Because administratively, you, you know, I serve patients by serving my staff, so I'm really trying to anticipate what those needs are and what we're going to be working on to uh, meet those needs, whether it's for that day or that shift or what it might be anticipated for the the week to come. And the critical care, what is that, 60 beds? Our our skilled nursing facility. Skilled nursing facility. Yeah, our continuing care center. Um, interestingly, we were in our at that at the start of the pandemic. We were in the old building, so we have mm-hmm. a sixty six beds skilled nursing facility. Um, very tight knit quarters, eighteen thousand square feet. Yeah, uh, I know I've been in there. full triple rooms. I mean, when you talk about isolation, you're, just you're packing them in there. You you really are, and then um, we were close to completion oh, really? on our I thought you had completed it seems like I was at some event or something where you were it was cutting a ribbon or yeah I was in the middle of the pandemic I think um in in June of 2020 is when we moved into the continuing care center okay that must have been a relief just from a space standpoint absolutely room. yeah yeah and it, it was still bad by June wasn't it it, like it was like the and how many beds in the whole CMH system so with, 250 beds in Ventura, uh, licensed beds, uh, 100 beds in Ojai, 25 of which are in the acute care hospital, um, mm-hmm. and then 75 now in our skilled nursing facility. Okay. Wow. That was more than I thought. But in the peak, uh, we actually worked with licensing the California Department of Public Health and uh, went back to our old tower and created additional capacity of beds in our mountain, t- our old uh, hospital mm-hmm. building, and created more capacity that way. And did that 
Was that enough? It, Did it meet your, your It goal? was. Our, our biggest challenge, kind of even at the peak, was never really actual beds as much as it was the staffing. And even, even oh, today, yeah. as we look at the impact of RSV and, and flu, um, as, as we see those numbers go up, that not only impacts the community, but it impacts our staff and their yeah, families. I, I was just talking about a super spreader event that I attended. <laughs> but what uh, was the first, when did, did your first person go out with? With COVID, your first staff member. Was our, our first staff that member. In March, I imagine. I, when was the date? I, I don't want to give the name out from, for HIPAA yeah. purposes, uh, but um, it, it was within it was some, one, some of the first early cases in Ventura County, I believe, um, came came from our staff. And this is back when uh, the, the protocols weren't 10 days, uh, you know, post positive or symptoms yeah, or tests. Two weeks, right? It was actually, I don't even think there was a time frame as much mm-hmm. as it was a requirement of having two negative PCR tests. Uh, oh, yeah tests in a row. And so we, we had a number of occasions where staff uh, would test negative and then go in for their second uh, PCR test and test positive. positive And and we now know that could be months, right? Oh, wow. So how, how bad did it get? How critical was the, the staffing when, with people going out sick? I think at the peak, uh, we were, uh, it was just a under just under a hundred uh, COVID positive um, admissions that we had, uh, the the impact that we were having in our emergency department and mm-hmm. uh, in our outpatient area, as, and in terms of just patients that we were seeing was yeah. was broader. Uh, today, as as we see, and we we hear this in the news every day, um, the numbers that are being reported are are not really capturing the true numbers because no. we we all could test at home, test positive. We're not reporting that we're yeah. we're positive, and so the numbers aren't being captured as well now. Yeah. Well, on your staff here in Ojai, how many people got sick at one time? Like, what was the worst? staffing issue that you had to deal with because of people being sick? Uh, gosh, it's a good question. Um, it, it, it went in waves by department is, is probably the best way to describe it. So oh, yeah. if, if we had one department after another, yeah. So if we had be better than having, having one or two people going out in every department, having, yeah, hopefully those, by the time it works its way through one end of the building, uh, the, the first end of it is back back to work yeah most um most of the time the uh i you know i believe most of the cases that ended up testing positive were not hospital acquired so it was actually yeah. uh folks that have either gotten it from this is after the stay at home orders yeah. yeah where they're they're testing positive because they were at an event or a family event um yeah. we were pretty good we have really good protocols in place inside the hospital to keep mm-hmm. our staff safe and masked and and falling in the isolation um requirements and infection control requirements, but uh, there there were events where we had uh, you know it, we were heavily impacted in environmental services or housekeeping department, or we were oh, yeah. impacted in dietary, and in in those cases we uh, we prioritized. So maybe my office wouldn't get clean, or certain administrative spaces oh, sure. wouldn't get or clean. People wouldn't get fed. That would be yeah. No, we, we made sure that get, got done or we, we pulled it. We had created a labor pool as well so we could pull staff in. Um, one of the things we did, particularly in Ventura, we had a proning team. So uh, many a of proning? our proning. Yeah. 
many of the COVID uh, intubated patients are are proning or they're they're on their stomachs, face down. Uh, for for sixteen hours a day, they found they, that there's better oxygenation. Yeah, I was that was something I learned. I didn't know that that you actually get more oxygen when you're sleeping on your belly. Yeah, so it takes it takes about seven to eight people to do that. Really, to turn to safely turn a patient Is over. That just one, like some. Uh you know, my 600 pound life type of person, or is this just like? No, so so you have you have the the, the patient that's uh, lying, uh-huh. and and typically because you have a, a lot of IVs and other uh, medications and pressors oh, yeah. and the intubation, so you have a respiratory oh, yeah. therapist you in the have room. Hands on every uh, aspect of the operation. Yeah, you know? and then and then you have uh, often a physician would be in the room and the nurse. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not the physician, if not the physician, the nurse. And then you have three people on each side. Yeah. So we identified uh, you could, you know, there were days where Gary Weld, our president and CEO, or Adam Tunnell, our chief operating officer, I volunteered All on a couple of occasions. And uh, so we would be there and, you know, there's a whole process of how the patient was prepared yeah. and, and, you know, to do that. Did that make a difference? I mean, uh, I know you, you must have lost some people. Um, do you think if we would have had that that protocol about getting people on their bellies earlier, it might have helped at least with the comfort? I, I, I medically, I don't know. I, I think we, um, you know, I think our medical staff did a really good job of, uh, you know, we had Dr. Gail Simpson, our infectious disease doc, Dr. Oh, Neil wow. Camby, who's he must have been busier than a. A long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Yeah. The, the medical staff did a really good job, I, I believe, of sharing kind of the most recent medical information. Yeah. And they had, even in addition to our DOPS or daily operate, operation huddles, uh, they had a process where they were sharing protocols and, and really evaluating those processes. Um, and what, what is your staffing? It's quite a big at, at Ojai. How many people do you employ? Uh, we have about 300 total uh, for the Ojai campus. When you start looking at some of the ancillary departments, yeah. as, as I know well. you're the second largest employer in the Ojai Valley. Yeah, I think maybe the school district actually. Maybe your third after the school. How many does the school district have? I don't remember. I think it was around that. I think it's just you're very close, but the Ohio Valley Inn is like 800 and something. Yeah, we've always said we're the second largest yeah. private then you employer. Probably are. Yeah. Definitely the second largest private employer. Yeah. But interestingly, Camp Ramah in the summer exceeds, is number two. Does it really? Isn't that strange? I never think about that. But for those 13 weeks when they're running at full capacity, they've got 1,000 plus yeah. campers. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's busy. It's like its own city there. We have their medical director that always, uh, they're kind of like, uh, he's an orthopedic surgeon who's involved with the camp that always pops in and reminds us that they're in town. Yeah, uh, because there's going to be some scraped knees at, at best, and goodness <clears throat> knows what kind of injuries they'll get on the ropes course and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But if people don't think about Camp Ramaz being so busy, because it isn't for most of the year. Mm-mm. Yeah. So what was the time, like... Th- when you thought, oh, we're going to get a handle on this, was it like when first announced, I think it was in like July or August, that the mRNA vaccine technology was ramping up, scaling up? 
Yeah, the I think everybody was looking at vaccines as being the waiting as that. That was the kind of the white light at the end of the tunnel for yeah. for many of us. And that was interesting the science that went into that because you're basically teaching your body how to heal itself, like giving it the instructions to handle these spike proteins, which we we don't haven't not had any experience with. So being able to so I'm hoping, and I don't know if it's true, but that the vaccines, one, will keep up with the strains and that hopefully they'll get attenuated as they go further like the H1N1 did. Yeah. But also that any type of spike protein thing that comes along, our bodies are going to have a much better response to it. Yeah. Because one of the problems was that uh, cytokine flood, which would just overreact your body would overreact it was the response but it was just too much yeah and and the whole how that works because i know several people who were very healthy that got taken down hours like just a couple days it's crazy i'm sure you know way more than me yeah we lost quite a few people brothers and sisters it was sad it really was Really Did you have some really bad days? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if I can handle this kind of days. I I don't know if there, the fear, I mean, their, their fear of uh, letting, letting your staff down or letting your community down days, certainly, um, yeah. particularly when, when we were looking on the East coast where supplies were, were becoming an issue. So uh, are we going to get to a point where we're not going to have masks or the proper PPE yeah. for our staff? And that, that really kept me up at night. And I'm grateful that that never kind of came never to fruition. Never became a crisis because it has, and it did in other places. I know yeah. early on they were saying, oh, you don't need to wear masks. They wanted to keep it for the healthcare workers. And I think the messaging on that got confused. Yeah. So all the conspiracy theorists people, they, uh, took that and ran with it like ooh, they're lying to you about this what else are they lying about well come on people yeah we're all just and fellow humans trying to figure it out you're definitely planning for worst case and so yeah. some days you're you're you, it feels really dark and as part yeah. of that planning process of what what that can look like and so that that really I think that was hard yeah. uh, in in context of everything that was happening I think in the community well, were there days where you were just losing people left and right and thinking, how bad is it going to get? Or was everybody pretty much, you know, the patients were that you were able to? I think we ha we we certainly had those days. I I think there there were days, particularly in the county, when we were seeing the the number of deaths going up. Yeah. That um, it was really pulling, putting a strain on the capacity of our morgues in the county, and so yeah. you're you're beginning that process of. Um, of planning what what that looks like yeah. um and in the things you have to do and and so and i actually was involved uh, at one point with that and Trying for the for the system handle the handle the deceased yeah and so i, I remember it was it was right at the time where there's a lot of the shortages in the supermarket and i was doing also doing the grocery shopping oh and, man and it was like so weird those empty shelves i can still picture that yeah and so anita my 
wife Anita would, would kind of give me the list. And that was kind of, that was like my alone time <laughs> when yeah. I was on the way home to, 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 to pick up the groceries. And I remember Anita was, uh, asked me, you, you didn't bring the flour. I've had the flour on the list, you know, for the last, and, and I don't think she had been in a supermarket for a couple of weeks. And I'm, uh-huh. and I'm thinking to myself, I, I've been working on, you know, uh, more capacity issues all day. Yeah, and and, and, and flour, she, see. and she thinks that there's, you know, this is a bit of a disconnect in in terms of context yeah. of what you know what staffs looking at. And, I'm, and you're like, you know, I've got yeah things going on, and sorry about that. And you know, as soon as I figure out what to do with these dead bodies, I'll get right over there. Well, I didn't quite say that, but no, I mean, you probably wouldn't be married if you still did. Put that it context, like but and then and then the other interesting part of that is I remember being on a county. Uh, county agency meeting and you know we, we were having so we had these dops meetings that are specific for to the hospital staff, yeah. uh, for the staff and then we're on these county calls where all the hospitals are on mm-hmm. and then we have county agency meetings where all the agencies with uh, charles levin dr levin, yeah dr who levin in, who lives here in ohio that's right steve carroll and some other winemaker yeah and i i remember when it, the, the perspective that was added when um, one of the agencies was was giving an update, and uh, um, particularly the issue of child abuse came up, and how that process is identified uh, many times initially through the school district, yeah, sure. and the fear now that kids aren't in school, and it it just kind of opened up the broadness of uh, the the kind of the fear and everything that kind of in my world and then mm-hmm. it added these other layers that each oh, of these, these support agencies are are having to deal with this the crisis and, of people being stacked on top of each other it, in some of these families it's like generations that's right how do these kids keep up their schooling yeah and now we're learning they didn't yeah like a lot of test scores are took a dive and the I impact it's that, having. I think that they'll be able to catch up mostly. I just worry about, especially like kids who are like freshmen and sophomores in college, because they had none of the experience that's vital to their yeah. social development. Yeah. I had a friend of mine, uh, her, her son just went off to college this last year, and that was actually the statement was, you know, being at home, homeschooled, you know, essentially uh, for their, you know, junior and senior year of, of high school, which is yeah, kind of that's developmentally, too, especially right? like sports. I felt bad for those. Yeah. And then sent get the recognition that they deserved. And uh, yeah. And then sent off to college and now, you know, living in a dorm and expecting to socialize and having gone from, you know, their bedroom to. Yeah, I do feel like the not to not to encourage gamers, but because they're so connected all the time. I don't know if your kids are not quite that age yet, but when they're on there all the time like that, they're socializing, they're having their together time. It doesn't seem like you see with their headsets and their. Fancy gear, and they're just rocking and rolling, like shouting out into the, you know, appropriate and nothing. But they're actually in their world. And there's just for them, it's as real as our world. Yeah. So I think they, they sort it out. I think, think, I think boys especially are going to be fine because isolation is something we can handle better. In fact, I was just writing about um, Admiral Byrd, Richard Byrd, who spent nine months alone in the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. In the worst months and how you know he kept his diary and he got almost like he was enjoying it after a while went through a really rough patch where he felt like he was going insane uh-huh. 
And then he came out with this clarity of mind that lasted him, he said, for the rest of his life. Incredible. Or like Buddha under the banyan tree for 40 years. Yeah. But girls, I don't know, they, they seem like they need to bump up against each other more, you know. They're much more social creatures. Yeah. Well, my, my daughter is younger. I, it was, it was odd, you know, when we were coming out, uh, after, after a, a couple yeah. years, right. And yeah, starting a couple to of years before we really felt back to normal. And yeah. she's now seven. So, uh, you know, most of her memorable life, uh, yeah, was, like, was spent, uh, you yeah, know, confined to being home. Her life and that's right. That's not ideal. I remember a couple of family gatherings, uh, first family gatherings. She's kind of like, who are these people? And <laughs> Anita, Anita and I are like, this is our family. This is okay. Um, but, but as you said, uh, you know, kids are resilient. They, they'll, they'll bounce back. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, you know, come out stronger for it. Maybe just having that shared experience even. Yeah. You know, where were you in the pandemic? They'll have something that they can all relate to. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a... I kept saying or thinking that, oh, this is going to be like the roaring 20s, like in the the swine flu epidemic and, you know, 60 million people died or whatever. And it took, there was a couple waves, very much like COVID, more deadlier. Yeah. It took out younger people too, like the prime victims were like 18 to 27 or something. But then once the dread lifted people just started partying like crazy that was the jazz age and the roaring 20s but i don't know i'm not feeling that is that where we're at right now is that just roaring do you feel like it's roaring out there you know there are days uh i think where you you know we're we're out now and uh for the most part folks seem to be maskless and uh the events are there and we're we're yeah the social calendar is getting back it's taken me a while to adapt to that I hate to say that I enjoyed not having social obligations for a while. I'm not that, not that social, but um, here we are. It, and it does a, feel good. Like I told you, the one, the first time I went out to actually, you know, not the first time, but one of the first, I ended up getting COVID. I thought, oh, I'm gone two and a half years without it. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. Bam. You, yeah. you test positive. Yeah, it's gonna, and I got it pretty bad. I think for like three days but really it was like yeah it was like a bad cold yeah yeah well and you you got it and you said at a conference in may or yeah i was in 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 may uh was in a conference and came back and um tested uh i was i i think i was just sharing the story with you but i was not symptomatic and uh was getting ready to go to a presentation where i was going to present an award at an outdoor event with some staff and i just Mm -hmm. felt like i should responsibly test to 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 feel you know feel confident in in being there and uh reluctantly kind of you know swabbed sent it over to the lab was finishing up my work getting ready to leave and uh, my my assistant popped in with a sheet of paper. You need to go home. Oh man! And so we I came came home, quarantined. Uh, remarkably, my my wife and three kids did not test positive. Uh, we you know that, that isolation yeah. was hard for those sure days. Sure, it was. Yeah. And uh, a couple weeks later, my, when I was out of quarantine, Anita and I went to a um um. A super spreader event. An event. That's right. (laughs) And so she tested positive and then the kids got it. And then I wasn't sure if I was going to get it again. It might be a different strain. Yeah, sure. So, but yeah, 
it just seems like it and then played uh, its course. I think like maybe I'm wrong, but moving from those waiting for how many days, three or four days to get results to having those instant re- tests must have been like a, a game, game changer. changer. <laughs> yeah, must have really helped a lot. Absolutely. Now, were you doing? You were doing the the testing over at well different places, but mostly Nordoff, right? People would go. The, are you talking about swabs. the testing or for yeah, or the? Or that was a county. The, I don't know. The the actual testing initially when it was moved. I, I think I shared the early days. It was in Atlanta. Then the states started getting state sites, and then the counties got sites. But yeah. each county was was handling the testing, mm-hmm. and then as the emergency authorization started to roll out for different lab equipment, actually in our system, one of our uh, pieces of lab equipment in Ojai was one of the first uh, that was approved under the emergency use. And so at one point in time, if you got swabbed in our system at any of our ambulatory clinics or in Ventura, when those- you say, mean in walk-ins, walk-in clinics? Uh, our walk-in clinics or our emergency room in Ventura, the, many of those swabs were coming to Ojai and being processed mm. and on that machine. And then subsequently when other machines that got, got online, we had additional capacity. Yeah. And then we eventually got a, a Roche unit uh, that you know could process a, uh, almost a thousand of these a day, and Which so we centralized would have needed, it there. Because I'm sure there was a county of a million people. You're going to need a lot of yeah capacity. Yeah. So and that that was actually in, in addition to the county capacity and the other kind of health the healthcare agency yeah. and so forth. Did you get any pushback? And I know um, you weren't on the medical side so much, but. Patients with misinformation, the hydrochloroquine people, and the the bleach disinfecting. We we heard a lot of stories stuff. from our medical staff of yeah. folks kind of coming in, not wanting to do that, or not wanting to be masked, or insisting to uh, not get kill, swabbed. They're killing you. That's exactly yeah. right. I mean, we, so we we unfortunately did experience some of that, um, yeah. as I think other parts of the country I remember, did. did um, somebody telling me about masks you know they keep everything in them and i'm thinking well wait a minute you walk like when you fart what happens to it does it does it bag up in there and then you take your pants off and a big gust of gas comes out i mean don't you guys these are this is water vapor i'm trying to explain and why am i trying to explain i'm not a doctor how come you don't know this it's water droplets it's not yeah it's not gas. How did that it? conversation go? I don't know. I was trying not to be snarky, but it probably leaked through some. Yeah. I've learned just whatever people got in their minds. Don't try to dissuade them. Just, yeah. just nod your head. Again, again I you're think not going to win those arguments. Yeah, it was really hard. You know, you have you're having these hard days at work. You're you're going through the supermarket over here at Westridge. And you you see the, uh, the the individual at the, the supermarket teller that having yeah. to remind folks to please put on their mask or so get any. I felt them. awful. Yeah, like I why they don't. That's not part of their job. Yeah, exactly. And these people that are doing that don't they understand that it is just a courtesy, just being nice to other people? You don't your political points or whatever you can. That's what Facebook was invented for. It was, yeah, it was really depressing to, to see that. Yeah, so. that took a while to get over. But now, what was the the upside, like, when Paxlovid came online? Did that feel like so, a big wave yeah. of relief? 
I think there's a lot of silver linings uh, looking looking back, uh, both kind of organizationally, personally, organizationally, um, in regards to the team pulling together and working together. But I, I think a lot of the medical developments um, in, in terms of medications, the, the vaccine uh, rollout, at least initially. Yeah, it felt very was, successful for such a major operation. It really did. And, and, I, and I think uh, early on when the county started to roll out I think it was initially at the county uh, fairgrounds and they started to identify locations. We were able to reach out to the county and um, essentially offer that we would stack, we would staff the Nordoff site uh, with our staff if they could provide the vaccine. And we'd, yeah. we'd open it to the entire county, obviously, because that's part of the county yeah. protocol. And that, that was that was a positive experience for a lot of us. I, I think uh, m- many of the staff that were actually uh, administering the vaccine were our ICU nurses in mm-hmm. Ventura and our staff in Ojai that had seen, uh, you know, over the last months, a lot of uh, patients coming in. And so I remember uh, many of the staff would count how many, at the end of the day, they, they'd count how many vaccines they gave, knowing that these are lives that, that are, are potentially saved. Stay out of the... And they're Stay not going to the see yeah. exactly. So it was a kind of a form of therapy, I think, I for, was, for many yeah. of us uh, in doing that. Um, I'm sure it was. Now, yeah. Speaking of which, did you have, you know, morale issues, or how, how did you keep how did you keep morale up in this very trying circumstances with people really risking their lives to serve others in the healthcare front? Yeah, pizza. Yeah, that's <laughs> ice cream, uh, a lot of visits to the units, uh, to the staff uh, to try to identify what what things we can do. Um, we rolled out a com the com app to our employees. Uh, the medical staff started a physician empower committee uh, really focused on um, kind of physician well-being. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we, it's we, a, that burnout is a real thing. Yeah, uh, we, we started a kind of a fun committee. To, to try to identify these these activities or things we can do um, at least monthly to kind of get, yeah. get out what to staff. What were some of those? Um, we gosh, uh, we we've done a, a lot a lot of uh, a lot of things around food. It seems like as it, as it comes up, which ironically you have to be very careful with as well in the hospital setting. Yeah. Um, in in terms of what we can uh, what we could actually physically do. Yeah. More recently, uh, trying to get involved with the corporate games and um, team doing building exercises, team building exercises, outdoor things that we actually created in many of the nursing units, mm-hmm. um, lounges with massage chairs. And oh, um, so appreciated that. we yeah. can go in there. Uh, you know, we had these we worked with infection prevention where you take the massage chair and uh, appropriately clean it after every use. And then uh, they mm-hmm. can close the door and and kind of get get away and unwind even mm-hmm. if it's for 15 minutes um yeah. to a little mental health nap ex- exactly yeah so try to do that and and you know also realizing and recognizing you know that we don't want to be cliche about it as well in terms of what what's being dealt with in that moment for for the yeah. staff too to seem like you're it's frivolous or something yeah yeah well um i had a few questions about you like I, I've known you for quite a while now, like fifteen years or something. How long? How many years have you been here? J- January two thousand eleven. 
Um, oh, no. Yeah. You've been here longer than that. No. I, I've been in the system since uh, October of 2001. So I was in oh, CMH wow. for 10 years and then came up in January 2011 up here to Ohio. Wow. Time yeah. flies. Yeah. Now, you started like Ashwood Clinic and all those um, satellite clinics. Was that your we, job before you came here? But Before I came here, I was a assistant vice president at, at Inventurous. I worked with a number of the ancillary support departments, the, the laboratory, environmental services, engineering, uh, non-nursing, but ancillary departments that support the hospital, uh-huh. and then very involved with the construction. So a lot of our ambulatory mm-hmm. clinics, the uh, development of location of sites. I, I would work on with the team down in Ventura and Trying to work figure with out the con- like splitting up the populations and needs and so you probably had to do a lot of demography. We we did um, also kind of identify the space, uh, get work work with um, a, a broker to lease the space, and then uh, work with getting construct the architect to get it constructed and licensed, and then we hand it over to kind of our operational yeah. folks to. To do that well so. the ashwood my ex-girlfriend used to work there yeah and uh they have like the best lebanese restaurant it's just a hole in the wall in that strip mall by ashwood how have i never been there it's so good like the is it still there is, i don't know maybe not maybe they didn't make it through the pandemic but i just remember what a treat that was yeah yeah it was so good the yeah best hummus i've ever had in my life wow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to look that yeah, up. Yeah, check it out. Very bright-flavored, lemony, you know? Yeah. And creamy, the way yeah. you like it. Right on. And where did you grow up? Where did I, you... I grew up in Ventura. Oh, you're yeah. a local boy. So I'm a local boy. Uh, the the farthest I made it, my undergraduate was at UC Santa Barbara, my gaucho. Okay, and awesome. And then came back uh, in 2000. Um, I got my real estate license thinking I want to do real estate. Now, were you... Uh, public administration or no my undergraduate was sociology and communications okay that and would be very helpful i can see that yeah yeah and i i moved back to ventura got my real estate license thinking i'm i'm gonna yeah, do something with real career. estate and it was right at the time what did your dad do your mom my my mom and dad owned a restaurant for many years in ventura oh, really? hi-ho restaurant on thompson i sort of remember that yeah so so you grew up in the restaurant business. I grew up with a family-owned restaurant. Uh, with, that was kind of the, uh, yeah, the family business. So that's like working all the time. Everybody goes to work. Yeah, and as a as a child in that, you you most of the vacations were like my brother and I and my mom, or my brother and I and my dad, or when we got older, my mom and dad could go out, and my brother and I would be at the restaurant. Oh, sure. Just, yeah, I grew up on a farm. Business. I know it's everybody's pitching in all the time yeah yeah there's no off days in fact like we'd have a snow day at school that meant i'd have to go out with my dad on his mail route or dig graves i spent six yeah i remember you sharing that at a rotary meeting you start thinking about bodies stacking up when we'd have a cold snap or a blizzard you couldn't put the bodies in the ground they have to stack them up at the morgue and then you'd have all this work we'd have to dig like two or three in a day for like a week just to get caught up yeah. Like there's always something. People, you know, but restaurant business, I, I don't know. You didn't want to, didn't feel the tug? Did I, anybody in your family? No, in it? fact, it was kind of discouraged, I think, because of how, what a tough uh, business it is and, and how, uh, how 
how much it pulls pulls you from your family i think um yeah i i kind of i didn't want to be in a position where i was on call ironically it, it, yeah. you know here i am and i'm i i'm very much on call many uh many times but uh i i knew i wanted to do something else and i i ended up i moved i got moved back to ventura i got my real estate license and quickly realized that that was not my calling and hmm. so i i decided i wanted to go back what and was get, it about that that I, it was at the time where uh, re- the, the real estate boom was happening, and I, I went into the residential side. I think if I would have done commercial, it might have been different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you have to know this about me. When I was at UCSB, I was very involved with uh, student government and worked oh, yeah. closely with the Board of Regents. And um, I, I kind of got this passion of my passion became I want to work with higher education mm-hmm. and improving that. And I, I really wanted to become a board of uh, be appointed to the Board of Regents. That was like my goal. Oh, yeah. Well, who knows that? And so that was kind of my passion, but I also knew I, I can't make a living doing that. Most of those folks have a career in something else. So I said, okay, right, my career is going to be in real estate. Mm-hmm. And so I came back, got my real estate license, uh, and, and practice for a couple of years, not, not, excuse me, for a couple of months and, oh, wow. and identified I can make a lot of money, but I'm not enjoying this. Most folks couldn't afford what they were buying. It was before kind of the, the it was oh, right at the beginning so. of the boom. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. And I so, you know, and most folks weren't saying anything. These jumbo loans or the the ones with the uh, back end. The yeah. AP, what do you call those? Adjustable rate. Adjustable mortgages? rate mortgages and uh, or or loans are being given, and you're wondering how uh, they, they qualified. Countrywide. They so, were the worst. Yeah, and I, I would. So there's a lot of head scratching, and yeah. um, it didn't feel sustainable. You it didn't sort of feel something wasn't right. I wasn't enjoying it. So I, yeah. so I used the excuse of going back to school to kind of quit my job. I, I applied or I, I got into uh, uh, Cal State Northridge for their master's in public administration. And again, in my mind, I'm, I'm going to have a good UC education, a good Cal State education. This is going to really prepare me yeah, to be on the Board of Regents. Inside out. And, That's right. And, and so I, I got a job at the Outback restaurant to, okay. to wait on you know tables have money in my pocket I was traveling a lot and uh one one night uh I you know I was there and we had somebody come in uh and I was asked to pick up an extra table and there's a an individual with a three-piece suit uh, that I was serving and uh we started talking and he started ask ask me a number of questions about uh you know what do you what are you doing outside of here? Uh, what what sort of education do you have? presented so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Like. So, you know, he's kind of surprised to hear that I was getting my master's degree. And when he heard mm-hmm. sociology communications, he thought it was more communication marketing. Mm-hmm. And so he he mentioned, uh, I work in a hospital. If you're ever interested in doing something um, with with us, let let us know. And wrote wrote his name on, on a piece. He didn't give me a card. He just wrote his name on a piece of paper. And what and was that name? Mike Baxt, huh. uh, with a phone number. I, I, I had no idea who he was. So I, I tucked it in my uh, shirt, didn't mm-hmm. think much of it, came came home that night. And, you know, typical questions I think that your parents ask you after a shift. You know, how, did, how was your night? How did uh-huh. you do? What did you get in tips and, and so forth? And as I was answering those questions, I said, I met someone who I think uh, works in a hospital, was interested in kind of offered maybe an interest if, if I have an interest in doing something yeah. in the hospital setting. 
And my, my dad, you know, who was that? And I was like, Mike Baxt. Um, and so my dad's like, you know, he's the CEO at Community Memorial. You should, you should reach out to that. him, follow up yeah. on that. Yeah, so I, I sent uh, a resume over uh, to, to him. I wrote in kind of a cover letter, sent my resume. And those, mm-hmm. those that know, we, we, at the time we called him Dr. Baxt. Yeah. And, uh, those that knew him knew that he very, very direct, mm-hmm. uh, when he knew he wanted to do something and very much in his fashion. Um, mm-hmm. I got a call a day or two later from his assistant and his assistant said, uh, Dr. Baxt has received your letter, was very impressed. In fact, he's written you a letter back, but he wanted me to call you and wants to know if you can meet with him tomorrow morning at 7.30 in the morning um, at the, over at the hospital. So I said, sure, would, would, would love to. And no idea what was on offer. What was in the letter? I had no idea yeah. what I was going into. And so I, I drove over to the hospital. I, I parked in 15-minute parking because I figured he's a hospital yeah, CEO. There's run you in and out. That's know. exactly it. And he uh, walked in, came into his office, and um, he he met with me and said, I, I don't have a job for you. I, I thought that was a kind of odd to call me over to tell me that. <laughs> he said, but I want to offer you an opportunity uh, to learn about healthcare um, management. Well, what did and, he see in you that, was it your attentive serving I don't, I, I don't, at the, I don't Even, quite, he must have thought about that. Like, what was I presenting yeah, that he, he picked up on? Really interestingly, I don't, you know, I think the communication theory, he wanted me involved with some of the marketing stuff, but a lot mm-hmm. of the marketing at the time was really being led by him. Um, yeah. We had a marketing committee of which he was like the chair of the committee. Mm-hmm. And then he, there was like consultants uh, or, or other folks that would kind of, more of an advisory capacity. Yeah. But what was supposed to be six months of rotating in departments, and I, I spent two weeks in every department of the hospital. So I, I spent two weeks in housekeeping, cleaning rooms with the housekeepers. Mm. I, I spent two weeks in surgery. I got to watch a carotid oh, no, endarterectomy. Op- and I, the, uh, operating room theater? Yeah. Uh, no, actually, in, in physically there, like in the operating in? room. I, I didn't scrub in, so okay. I didn't touch, the, you know, come in contact with the patient. Yeah. But I was in scrubs, literally standing next to the surgeon watching the surgeries cut open somebody's neck no i didn't do any of that so no, the, you said a co- carotid endarterectomy that's right i watched yeah. dr abu samra um i got i got the privilege oh, of watching him. him yeah uh, that was one of the first surgeries i i, I was saw. on the board of the ohio music festival that's right mm-hmm. big uh supporter of the arts yeah so so any what that was must have been like i think i'd be i'd get a little faint you you think that, but you're in awe of these medical professionals. And Surgeons, it's incredible. It, yeah, and he and he's carrying a conversation with he, for, for his case. It's just I, another day at work. Oh yeah, he, he, he I actually I remember that he said, "Hadi, you're about to embark in a career where there's so many unknowns." Is there right at the time where there's a lot of questions about where healthcare is going and so forth? Yeah. And he said, "I, on the other hand, uh, and he, he's like, I'm doing this, and he, I'm cutting through this sublayer of skin." And he's just describing, and as he's describing what he's going to see, you're seeing it. Yeah. And it's so absolute, and so he made it look so easy. Yeah. Uh, one slip, one sneeze, one minor earthquake. Anything. But. Yeah, but all the confidence and training yeah. in the world to, to, to execute it so perfectly. Yeah, it's not a career for people who are riddled with self-doubt, I think. I, I think you're right. To be slicing people open like that. Absolutely. 
that used to be my worst nightmare getting cut open. Then I had appendicitis and I got cut open. It was like, wow. So where'd you meet Anita? Anita and I met, uh, Let's see. We met in 2007, so some years later through we... Uh, so you were well into your career at CMH. Yeah. I was... I was. So my six months turns into nine months at CMH, and then I got offered a position uh, and uh, kind of, you know, un, unbeknownst to me, uh, launched my career in healthcare administration. I would have never guessed no. that I would have been in our organization as long as I have. But it's great that you had exposure to all the different departments. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it's 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 still cherished to this day in in terms of those experiences. Yeah. So, so Anita, what was that like? Anita, was it, I'm it, imagining that you were. It was arranged like a. It kind of like was a blind date. Yeah. Or, You're. Yeah. What what makes you think that? I don't know. Culturally, I think she's well. She's so pretty. Like I mean, your wife is gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, not that you're not a handsome dude, but well no, I done. definitely married. Well I definitely yeah. married up when it comes yeah. to that. So. Yeah. So it must have been one of your friends, I'll bet. So a mutual friend. Uh, Dr. Doctor Madani is a good family friend of uh, Anita's family and a good friend of my aunt. And uh, and she's a local girl, too. She's right? not. She, oh, she grew up in uh, Seal Beach, Palos Verdes area. Okay. And uh, I, it, the, the story goes, my, my aunt was at a function with uh, Dr. Madani and, and Anita was there. This story is different if Anita yeah. tells it. And probably never told exactly the same way twice. That's right. Yeah. So uh, Anita, my my aunt inquired about Anita. Uh, oh, was your aunt looking out for you? I, I think she was. Yeah. And my Dr. Madani was like, oh, she's so picky. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and my aunt's like, you haven't met Hottie yet. And so, uh, so some, I think a week later, my aunt called me. Would you be willing to, if I introduced you to somebody, and I said, sure. I w went to a brunch at, at her house. Anita had no idea. Apparently, I was told she'd freak out if she knew that we they were being they, set they were, up they were that you wouldn't have come. Yeah. So, so we we went to the brunch, and we uh, I, I spent most of the brunch. Were you like a little gobsmacked? Were I, a little bit like I. Oh. I, I think I was. I, I will tell you that if Anita tells the story, that, and this is actually absolutely true. So the brunch was set up on a Saturday morning and that friday night i was at a fundraiser at ucla it was like a cancer fundraiser mm. a fashion show fundraiser and i saw this woman from a distance and i was like wow she was kind of smitten yeah and we didn't never talked it was just a moment and the next day at the brunch it was anita that that i saw, had seen the, the day before oh, yeah. i had no idea that Kismet. that was yeah. yeah so that was kind of cool and and so we I spent most of the brunch kind of interacting with her little brother and kind of yeah. the, the whole family. Her family was there, yeah. And uh, asked asked for her number through the the friend if she'd be willing to go out on a date. So a week later, we went out on a date. Yeah, it's all history. We have. Well, I, I get intimidated. I go like everybody's got to eat. Yeah, come on, have dinner with me. That's right. Yeah. So we we went on a date. We had a we went on a date a week later, and we kind of. A, it blossomed, I guess. Uh, well, well done, sir. Thank you. I remember just, uh, I don't know what, I got a call from you one time to cover for the reminder newsletter, you know, what? reporting on the meeting. Do you remember this? But one time, I feel like you bailed me out <laughs> at least a hundred times. Well, the one time I was like, oh yeah, well, you're too busy squaring around these 
you know, pretty lady doctors look all day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I didn't know that you my, were. My uh, ex-girlfriend had just, she was a doctor in the, in the CMH system and you like had to t- tour her around the, the hospital. Yeah. I thought, you must have thought I was like yanking your chain. I think you were, kind I of. I was like yanking your chain. Yeah. I used I to. like. I used to. What, after you we spying were, on me? No. After we were interviewed. Uh, um, Many times when the physicians would get interviewed afterwards, I I had the privilege of kind of touring them around and to some of our ambulatory clinics. And I remember that, Dr. Prince. Yeah. Yeah. That was a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot believe we've only been here since 2011. That seems like a long time ago, though, doesn't it? Not to me. I no? You've been here like 20 years or something. Yeah. But what's, uh, what do you, what do you, I mean, you're settled in, you got this beautiful family, your boys are probably a handful. They look like they're a handful. But in the best way. Yeah. What's, what's next? What do you think you're... Oh, that's a, that's the question that I get asked a lot. I, you know... I know. You got that air about you, like you're, you know, going to make big, have a big impact on the world in some way. Well, wow. Thank you. It's, it's, yeah. I'm not the only one that says that. You're a, you're a go-getter. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm definitely... I, we love living in the Ohio Valley. We, yeah. this is, we fell in love. I remember when I had the opportunity in 2011 to come out, one of the first conversations Anita and I had was, is um, if, if I, if we accept this, that we we're going to, one of the caveats was I, we got to move to the Valley. And, yeah. and so I kind of posed that as a question and Anita's like, no question. She was so excited about it. Yeah. And it was one of the best decisions I think we've made for our family. And we love being uh, in the community and part of the community. Yeah. And uh, and the the communities very much had an impact, I think, on on our, us as a, as a family as well. Yeah. And so as we've met um, folks in the community, I always say uh, when I at least early on, a lot of the folks that we were introduced to were through the hospital. Uh-huh. And so, you know, uh, Dr. Marty Pops, Barbara Pops, John Russell. And, oh, wonderful people. Yes. Yeah. And so Anita and I, uh, Alan Rains, Joan Kemper, I always kind of describe like th- this is who we want to be when we grow up. Yeah. Because uh, they've had these successful careers. And then they they come in their retirement and they're enjoying stage of their the fruits life. of their labors. Like, yeah, it just seems so. What a place! I mean, that's what I think. I've had opportunities to go other places, and I'm like, where do you go from here? Yeah, isn't yeah. this where everybody wants to get to? Aren't you here already? Haven't you arrived? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and these folks, right? Like in their retirement age, have more than kind of full time jobs working with their not for profit groups yeah service and, yeah it's and, like so key people don't understand what it's you know the not just the meaningfulness of it but how it makes you happy it really does yeah so it's like you got to work at it yeah that's the whole thing anything worth having is and to be able to contribute actively to the yeah. community yeah so i've I, so what's essentially good, good role models is what i'm trying to say I, I think it's a great way to say it yeah. yeah and so so i think being part of the community i've always felt like as long as i'm continuing to have a positive impact in the role i'm in i um and there's that opportunity for growth which i felt like there has been um 
I, you know, I, I don't ever want to overstay or become stale <laughs> from that perspective, but I sure. we've certainly have kind of had some ambitious plans in, in terms of what uh, the impact of kind of healthcare is going to look like in the community. And, and as we've seen with, with where we've gone, both with the acute care hospital mm-hmm. and the continuing care yeah, center. Yeah, because you've had some big expansion projects that oversee. Yeah. So I, I think from that perspective, uh, there's there's a lot of exciting stuff that yeah. um, is not only been worked on, but we're continuing to work on to really improve. Yeah, anything you can tell us about? I know that getting that uh, robot knee machine, right? Was that yeah. something? Yeah. We, we, I forget we, the name of that. The Rosa Robotic uh, yeah. Total Knees. It was That was one of my favorite rotary programs of all time, Dr. Gus Awaziuk. Oh, the uh, he showed us the um, human uh, human uh, shish kebab. That was the guy hard got to see. Ran through with the, but he was enjoying himself. Man, he left that up there. People were shouting, "Take that down!" Take. Poor guy had gotten skewered, literally skewered. You have a different reaction from that meeting than I did. <laughs> what was your reaction? Not that. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, people wanted him to take it down. I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun. I like to see this reaction. Yeah. No. I'm, no. The Dr. Golden, our orthopedic surgeon, brought, uh, I, I thought you were going to say we, we brought it, the Rosa, Rosa robotic surgery. Uh, and, and yeah, wasn't that, that Gus Awaziak that so spoke I think about? Dr. Awaziak spoke about uh, Da Vinci robotic surgery. I think he was one of the first oh, on, on the Da Vinci robot, yes, the general right, surgery too. robot that came through. Um, but it was uh, in November of 2019 that we, we launched our Rosa robotic surgery. And that um, does knees? It does total knees. Um, and we have a number of orthopedic surgeons that are that are trained on it. So you send people, for, people from all over the county come for this procedure? They, they were. Um, oh, yeah, when we when we first launched it, we were, we had an exclusive. I think we were one of the first sites in the state that that obtained one of these robots, yeah. and we were bringing in a lot of folks. Uh, we've we've subsequently have, have um, got competition. Uh, we, now. we actually have a couple of the machines in Ventura as well. Mm-hmm. Um, our and so it's something that we're really excited to to continue and pick up uh, as we move in. Um, additionally, I think in addition to ocean orthopedics. Uh, Dr. Ashley Lamb, who's an orthopedic surgeon out of our residency program, uh, just oh spent, really? She came through here. She did, and she she just spent the last year up in. Oh, uh, she'd be a great program for our club. She would be. She spent in a fact, year. I'm going to follow up on that. Yeah, she spent a year at USC doing a trauma fellowship, and has mm. moved into the valley here and wants to really um, establish an orthopedic practice here in the valley. Yeah. Um, well, we're so, not getting any younger. No, and we're gonna. Then our orthopedic needs are gonna continue to uh, increase. Sorry, I was leaning back yeah. there. Sorry about the mic. No, it's no, it's all right. I thought you were making a point. No, like, where Brett, you're gonna be next. No, <laughs> my shoulder's the next thing on me. So what? What else is going? Anything else you want to tell us? Anything we didn't cover? Well, I, I I think now that the continuing care center is done, we we do want to uh, we want to complete and tear down the old building and finish finish that phase of the project. So, um, what are you going to do with that um, space? The, the current the current plans show it as uh, a park. There's some underground water retention pieces that need to go in. Uh, as part of the the, the oh, county yeah. city Just requirements, to collect all the roof line, uh, yeah, fall rain, rainfall and 
you don't want to have runoff off the property. The water needs to permeate back Absolutely, in to, yeah. to feed our basin. Yeah. That's right. And um, so we're, we're looking forward to get that complete. We've, we've leased out uh, about 25, 2,800 square feet of space uh, adjacent to the hospital to, to build out um, an outpatient doctor's offices. Doctor, doctor's offices. It'll be the kind of the permanent home for Dr. Henson and Dr. Gustafsby, okay. uh, the two internists that we've recruited. And we, I think it's time to start looking at what the master plan is going to be back at the acute care hospital, yeah. uh, a new radiology department. Um, you, you know, we, our, our needs, it's, it's kind of like painting the, the golden gate bridge. It's like, as soon as it's you get across you, right over, again. that's right. Yeah. And so I think, uh, we're, we'll start thinking strategically, mm-hmm. uh, what, what the Ojai campus is, is going to look like. It's timed. We have a new CEO that's going to be joining us January 9th. Yeah. Gary Wild was there for like, t- what, 15 years? 18. So. 18 years. Yeah. And he oversaw the merger of our hospital. He was a key, yeah. In fact, and didn't he try to get Sansom Clinic uh, merged? Didn't you guys talk about, uh, no, Cottage. I, I, I know that the board's strategically always looking at uh, yeah. options. The, uh, the I will say that, Gary, we were at a foundation event last night, and Dr. Marty Pop spoke. And Gary played a very critical role, um, as, as he shared when he was the board chair of the Ojai Hospital mm-hmm. uh, in the initial conversations of how uh, Ojai Valley Community Hospital joined yeah. Community Memorial. I think people should know that a community the size of Ojai does not support a medical infrastructure of the size that we have now. It's only through this merger and the scales of, you know, where patients go and so forth and, you know, creating that system that we're able to have this great facility. That's absolutely right. Most most hospitals our size in the country are, are closing or shutting down. Yeah, they are. So, I know I was in Kernville when that was the big topic of conversation. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough out there. Yeah. All right, Hadi. Uh, anything else? No, just no. thank you so much. I know we, we were trying to get this uh, t- uh, opportunity to have this conversation. For a while now, yeah. Really this, appreciate To me, it. this is part of the package of like the first podcast I did with Johnny Johnston in the, in the city, uh, Reaction and Tiffany, Moore, Dr. Morse, yeah. school board, and how everything came together to get Ojai through this. And that's what I learned. We have some very capable people in critical places that we really should reflect with gratitude. We do. And we have a very supportive community as, yeah, as well. We're it's great grateful place. for that. Yeah. And I'm glad you're here with your kids because we need, we need kids. Love being here. All right. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Rod. Right. Hey, everyone. Brett Bradigan. Just thinking out loud. It's been... Long now, two and a half years that we've been doing this podcast. I'm looking at my potential guest list and it just keeps getting longer and longer. I first came up with about 17 or 18 names of people that I thought would be make good guests. Uh, Now the list is about 60 or 70, and I've had in between the first 17 or 18 on that list 130 episodes. So we're Crank them out as fast as we can. And uh, just happy to have you along for the ride. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.